Well, to start out with, I guess just um, just tell me your name and what you do at Kajabi. <laughs> so um, my name is Peter Watson Maina Gadenya. And um, but you go I've, by Watson. I go by Watson. Yeah. Yes, I go by Watson. And um, I am. I have just finished my residency in Kijabi Hospital for orthopedics, and I'll be starting out as a consultant actually next week. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, thank you very much. You said something interesting, um, Kijabi culture. <laughs> so what? Um, how would you describe? How would you describe Kijabi culture? I think Kijabi culture. I can. I can. Um, Kijabi culture is first of all very different um, it's hard to find words the best example I have is in my internship when I came for internship uh, I was on call at some point in pediatrics and um, I was called to review a baby who was having a, you know excess levels of bilirubin in their blood you know they are all yellow they are looking like an you know like a banana and that usually means they need to have the entire blood volume changed out it's an exchange transfusion, and then you replace it with something else. A procedure takes upwards of three hours. And I was prepared, you know, I, I was prepared to begin. But the consultant I was on call with, uh, who was Dr. Madi, came and we did the procedure, the entire thing together. And that was the first time I realized something is different here about Kijabe. Uh, there is a, well, in, in Swahili, I would call it Utu. There is a sense of of um, ownership that everyone has about the patients, about the quality we have, about the work we are doing. It's not for someone else; it's for God. It's for Christ. You know, it's that's the true Christian model. Um, I also liked how approachable everyone is, all the way from the director general down to your consultants to um, you know everyone up and down the several cadres we work so approachable and that is a world of a difference from our training in university the 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 dedication to excellence and the dedication to get the best for your patient to this to the extent that if my family members are coming to kijabe i don't have to cut any lines i don't have to you know do anything special for them i trust the system mm -hmm. and i know they'll get quality care mm -hmm. and that's that's a big thing kijabe is different Kijabi mm. is unique. It's it's just unique, totally unique. Mm. Yeah. So, at what point did you realize you wanted to do surgery? Okay, for me, first of all, it was a, a elimination, a process of elimination. When I was in med school, I thought I wanted to do pediatrics, and um, I was convinced all the way up to fourth year when I did my rotation in peds. But when I went to the wards and I saw that, you know. It's obvious, but I realized children don't tell you what they're feeling. You know, they just cry. <laughs> and so and so I was like, okay, no, I, I, that's not for me. I don't have the patience for that. At least that's what I thought. Then I didn't want to do obstetrics and gynecology. And while I loved medicine, I, I wanted something hands-on. Mm. And so I came to Kijabe for internship. And during internship, I, I scrubbed in theater and... I had excellent, you know, teachers and I just fell in love with surgery. I just totally fell in love with surgery. You know, the ability to um, take someone who is broken and someone who is uh, has basically been uh, taken out of society because of one issue or another 
and then you go into theatre and you fix the problem and they can plug back in. And especially in orthopedics, you know, they're, they're, they're not walking. You fix the fracture and the next day they are walking and they're able to go back to work. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and I just fell in love with that. I fell in love with the impact that it has on every, on every patient who comes our way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's... Were there certain doctors that you were following at that time that really made it click? For me, uh, the the two doctors I remember most, I mean, who inf- influenced my choice most, one was Dr. Davis. Mm-hmm. Dr. Davis was my trainer in general surgery. Mm-hmm. And, oh my, he has, he has a certain detective mind when it comes to patients. And you almost get pulled into the intrigue of finding out what's wrong with this patient and 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 then knowing what to do and then doing it exactly right it was just amazing to watch and i was like i want to do this and in fact at some point in the beginning i wanted to to do general surgery because of him and then in my orthopedics i i loved what dr mushiri how dr mushiri worked and um the one there's one time okay he's he's very he's a perfectionist he's very particular Things have to be done a particular way. And if something is wrong, he will point it out. He will tell you what is wrong, tell you how to correct it, and expect you to correct it. I love that level of, you know, that standard of um, of the way he does his things. And then also for him, I appreciated his, you know, spiritual side. Whenever we operated with him, it was a Bible discussion. You know, something that you learnt on Sunday or something that he's been thinking about you know, something that he's been doing in devotions and we just discussed it in theater. I just loved it. Mm-hmm. And there's this one time he actually um, witnessed to a, a patient before we began. It was a young man involved in a road, road traffic accident. He was broken all over, but he was not saved. And so he spoke to him and he actually gave his life to Christ right on the table. And I was like, I love this. This is just, I think he just le- left a lasting impact. And so I was like, Gen Surge, Otho. So those two people really influenced me heavily mm. and significantly, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And were there were there specific patients at that time that you remember that were kind of a turning point? Obviously, that one you just mentioned. Yeah, so there's the one patient who got saved on the table. I can't remember his name, but I remember he was a young a young man in his 20s. Yeah. Uh, I do remember a bad outcome. I remember how how it affected Dr. Davis. This was in general surgery, a huge uh, case. And so this patient, it was a lady, this patient had a tumor that was obstructing her digestive system, you know, her biliary system. And so he had to do a procedure called Whipple. And if I remember correctly, Whipple's has, it's like, you have to divert the, the stomach and the biliary tree and connect everything down to the intestines. It's very complicated. Oh, and the pancreas. Yeah, it was actually obstructing the pancreas as well. Very huge surgery, very complicated. And and um, it was a big risk. The patient had not had been rejected in many other places. And this is, Kijabi was the only place she could afford. And so um, she came and uh, we were able to do the surgery after we optimized her. Um, and I could see how, just from the beginning, it was weighing heavily on Dr. Davis. And we really, I mean... We really looked out for any possible complications. He was sure to, you know, make sure all the vessels are tied off, all the vessels are connected properly. And then after we closed her up, 
monitoring her post op was very close he came personally was speaking to her dr davis is fluent in swahili so the patient was very comfortable with him and she was fine for quite some time and then i think a week or two weeks later is when she took a sudden nose dive and we could not find the reason you know i'll find out the reason why but i could just the whole process up until she succumbed unfortunately dr davis did everything and you see when when i believe that it's the bad outcomes and the negative things in in your workplace that really uh, really flesh out your character you don't escape complications you don't hide it from the fam- from the family members you don't try and cover, cover up anything but you do your best and you and and you you know make sure the patient is getting the best possible care and that's what i saw from him and and it shook me because wow you know these patients lives are in our hands and they come sometimes very sick but i also saw that it's very possible to do the best you can and you know just trust in god and and for the outcomes but families will appreciate the human element of a doctor you are a scientist but they need a human being to explain to them what's going on to to make them feel comfortable and confident in what you've done that there's nothing that you've done wrong and what is going on is something that even you are burdened by you you're not just going to brush it off and go to the next patient that was that was a tough that was a tough time mm. yeah but that left an impact in me wow you were telling me you told me a a a, a great story yesterday mm-hmm. right about this matatu guy yeah yeah would you be up for retelling that one yeah absolutely so um i'll just use his first name is called mark so mark is a matatu driver who um was involved in a road traffic accident on christmas day and um he was driving so he was driving up from the sides of nakuru and on the on the region around kinungi it's called kinungi there's a climbing lane on the right side of the normal lane and and so the accident occurred in such a way that so yeah you know, mm-hmm. if you're in america i guess the way the way the picture of it it would be a it's a three lane road mm-hmm. with a with so the two left lanes are for are for going uphill and so slow cars will be all the way on the left yeah. and faster ones in the middle and then on the right side is the cars coming down the hill. Yes. All right, here we go. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I take it for granted. Yeah. So 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 he um so he was he, the the matatu he was driving a 14 seater passenger vehicle was full of, you know, of um passengers. And he had decided because it was dark. He had decided to stay on the on the slow lane, on the left lane, the safest possible lane. And so um he says what happened was there was a guy those a, a a driver coming downhill who now was overtaking and went into the middle lane which was wrong to begin with then there was another one behind him who wanted to overtake him and came all the way to the third lane which is you know totally wrong and so he saw it because the the driver is sort of came out suddenly so he saw it and so if i continue in this manner we are all going to die he actually told me that he said we are all going to die so he swerved but he swerved in such a way that only his side was facing the oncoming car and 
miraculously none of the passengers none of the 14 passengers got injured he was the only one who got injured and so um when the passengers came out he told me when the passengers came out they were so moved and they thanked him for saving their life and they saw what was going on and they said we have to take this patient to kijabe nowhere else this guy has to go to kijabe we know about kijabe let's take him to kijabe so they mobilized and and brought him here he had a broken um he had a broken leg and um you know severe chest injuries and actually that was it he's he was he's a very enthusiastic guy he he greets me in in slangs the swahili slang called sheng and i just enjoy to see him in the morning yeah that's awesome is he still around he is so um he got Okay, well, so his story is is a, a story of why we yeah. need a lot of help in theater. So, yeah. he so Christmas night, mm. um, he was taken to theater because it was an open a compound fracture, an open fracture, mm. and it needed to be um, debrided, washed out, and then um, external fixators applied using drills and pins to hold the bones in place, but there were no drills. There were no drills available at night. They were all consumed during the day because it had been a day that was very busy. Yeah. And only Oh, so you have to wait for him to go through sterilization? Exactly, exactly. Uh. And so by the time he was going in, none of the drills were ready and the only two that were functioning that day. And so um, uh, the team that was on call, you know, they called me. I was, I was the one who was covering that call. So they called me and explained. I'm like, well, let's just wash him out. That's the first most important thing. But now this means he has to go back to theater. Now, for when the drills are ready to get the the uh, fixation done. So um, they washed him out. So I saw him in the ward now, when was that? Um, Wednesday morning on the 26th. Still full of energy. And <laughs> this guy is, is so, so he's so, you know, enthusiastic about life. So when I met him in the morning, um, I introduced myself and he's like, doctors, you guys are just, you're just amazing. So he goes on and says, when I came in, I couldn't move anything. I couldn't move my hand. I couldn't lift my head. And I was, I was in a world of pain. But after the, after the surgery, I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm feeling alive. I'm feeling I can. Then he goes on to display how he's able to move everything. And I was just so jazzed. Yeah. That's when he told me his story. Yeah. So now um, I explained to him the reason why we didn't do the fixator. And he was, he was understanding. He said, that's fine. I know you guys did your best. I'll wait for when you can take me back to theater. So now we took him back yesterday in the morning. Mm. And we're able to do it. And so now he can be able to walk. He was not able to walk before because the bones are not, you know, stabilized. But now today, today he's, he's going to walk. Today he's going to walk. And um, if, if, if all will be well by next week, end of next week, he'll be going home. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's an amazing story. Yeah. Are there certain, are there certain surgeries or procedures that you that are your favorite what do you like to do <laughs> well um, um I, I like to do trauma mm. yeah it has a i believe and i've seen it trauma has the biggest um first of all it has the highest satisfaction rating you know someone is broken and you fix them they're walking the next day and then it also has the highest need um trauma is quickly becoming one of the top five um, um, causes of you know morbidity and mortality in sub-Saharan Africa, and it's almost overtaking you know surgical disease is almost overtaking you know malaria and HIV, and um, all these uh, communicable diseases combined, 
and there's a huge need for trauma in in the country in the region and there are very few trauma surgeons and so trauma is something that i'm very much interested in yeah yeah and then of course i love doing arthroplasty because um you get to uh, arthroplasty especially hip replacement is the second most satisfactory surgery in the whole world second only after cataract surgery and so you know the the kind of impact it has on people's lives i think is significant and i love just doing arthroplasty yeah, yeah. oh so you mean satisfactory in the the way that it changes the changes the life, life exactly on the patient side that's what i mean there's another way to 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 phrase it but it's successful the yeah. second most successful surgery yeah cataract surgery is number 1 because you're blind and now you can see Mm. Then hip surgery is number two because you are not walking and now you can walk wow. without any pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How many hip surgeries are we doing a week? So um, it seems like there's a lot. There's a there's a lot of hips um, and knees mm. that um, that are replaced. I don't have the actual numbers because December we've not really done many. We've mm. sort of shifted. To yeah. trauma, yeah. and and reduce the number of uh, arthroplasty cases we do. Mm. But let's see, like in a week, we can possibly do um, again because of I know Doctor Chege usually does about two to four, maybe seven to ten in a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might be, you know, um, that's a lot. That's a that's a lot of that's, that's a, lot. a lot. Yeah. And so what what causes that? Is that I mean, we live on the mountainside. Uh-huh. Is it because of that and people walking and just being active or what? So um, arthritis is, um, well, there are many factors that influence, mm-hmm. you know, any one person developing arthritis. Mm-hmm. But in our particular population, already several of the factors are in place. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, heavy manual labor, mm-hmm. yeah. um, heavy lifting, and then a lot of walking around, mm-hmm. you know, walking long distances and then also you have, you know, farming community, a very, a very um, agricultural mm-hmm. um, um, population. Yeah. And so the demographic has actually shifted in an interesting way, at least to me, anecdotally. I noticed that as, the, as our generation and the generation immediately before us mm-hmm. gets more economically independent and then more aware, then their parents, our parents and our grandparents, whenever they have hip pain and knee pain, then we say we can get this addressed. Mm-hmm. I don't think the incidence has increased. Like, you know, in, in the recent years is when we have more arthritis. I think it's always been there. But in the recent years, there's more awareness. And then there's more um, push towards quality of life. And it's instead of just, you know, surviving and living in pain all your life. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think that shift has led to the, the, the huge increase in arthroplasty cases we've seen. In fact, all over the country, everyone is busy with mm-hmm. arthroplasty in Eldoret, in Nairobi, all over the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh-huh. That really is a huge shift for those guys It is quality of life. Yeah. It is, yeah. You find someone who, you know, as young as 50 years, mm-hmm. in, sometimes even 40 years, or even as old as 70, mm-hmm. 80, yeah. they still have many years left to live. Mm-hmm. And... Because of arthritis, they're unable to leave the house, which means that they're not getting the exercise they need. Um, sometimes they end up developing um, pneumonias and you know blood clots in their legs because they're not moving around a lot, and then they you know they their quality of life deteriorates very fast. Mm-hmm. But for someone who's 
um, had this kind of procedure, then they're able to engage with their families and, and engage with their communities and become independent instead of requiring a, you know, like a nurse in the house or, an, you know, someone to help with taking care of them in their later years. It's a very huge impact. Mm. We've noticed a very huge impact. That's now good. we have, nine, you know, 80-year-old, 70-year-old ladies walking up to you and shaking your hand and smiling with tears and they're like, I'm pain-free. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. What do you think are your biggest motivations as a as a physician, as a doctor? Um, my my biggest I don't have one biggest motivation, but the what what I feel really drives me is that I believe I was put in Kijabe for a reason. First and foremost, I believe very heavily in God's direction and in God's, um, like in a calling. So I believe that I'm called to be a doctor. And not just that, I believe I'm called to be a doctor in Kijabe, specifically in Kijabe. And I, every time I interact with a patient and every time I see, you know, I discharge someone home, in my mind and in my heart, I get the confirmation that this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Second after that, of course, is the satisfaction of helping people. I just love being able to help someone in an area that I'm skilled in and I'm knowledgeable in. And so that, you know, sort of gets me out of bed in the morning. I know that there's someone in need and I know how I can help. And then I just go and do it. And then I just go and do it. And um, having, you know, an impact in the community and in the nation, I think, is also part of my motivation. But number one for me is I believe it's a calling. And I believed it very strongly in the very beginning when I was doing internship. And I was so sure that I'm coming back to Kijabe to do orthopedics. But even before I sent my application letter, even before I spoke to anyone, in chapel, when we were saying our goodbyes as interns because internship had come to an end, I told everyone I am coming back. You will see me here next year. And then I sent my application later. <laughs> I just believe it was a very strong conviction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> what are your... What are your goals for as you're starting as a consultant? What do you want to, I don't know, what do you want to bring to the table? What do you want to see happen? Um, maybe we could say in the next three or five years. One, one of the main issues that we have right now in, in orthopedics, which is what um, is part of my goals, is the huge backlog that we have. Right now, the patient lists get all the way up to almost June, July of 2019. Mm -hmm. And these are patients who um, need surgery, you know, usually within a month uh, at best, or, or rather a month at worst, mm -hmm. or two weeks. And they insist that they want to be done in Kijabe because they've had bad experiences elsewhere. And so part of my goals for 2019, actually for the next three, or five, three to five years, is to bring down our waiting list to about a month. And it's in line with what um, the goals for the department are. I believe that I have um, certain perspectives and certain skills that are, you know, not directly surgical. Of course, there's the work that I'll do. But I have had 
seven years to observe and to to work in Kijabe and to see the you know the need to see the problem and I have certain perspectives that I want I believe that will be valuable to the to the department um actually when you're coming I was in the middle of doing some some scheduling um uh, programming and I want to see how that can be applicable to to our scheduling as a department so that we can move from a paper based or book based schedule to something that is more streamlined and synced all across the five services that we'll have something that will improve not only the efficiency of our own schedules but our inter departmental intra departmental communication and uh, I believe that is going to improve efficiency I'm um, um, I'm a techie really just a hobbyist for technology and things like that it's not anything i've studied but it's something that i believe is going to help me with a unique perspective to approaching this problem yeah and um i also want to improve the level of specialty care that we have in kijabe there's a lot of um complex surgeries that we do but because of the huge trauma need we don't really get time to delve deep into the specialist areas. But I believe in the next three years, when we've gotten our efficiency really, really revved up, then we can really go into the specialty areas so that now, you know, spine and sports injuries and arthroplasty, you know, hand and microsurgery and, you know, pelvis and complex joint uh, trauma can be some, you know, we can be like a regional referral center for specialist orthopedic surgery that's something i really look forward to mm-hmm. yeah and so the big obstacle with that is just you have to manage the tra- trauma and yes yes so so um so yeah trauma the just the volume the sheer volume of trauma that we see presents a, a bit of a challenge in terms of trying to subspecialize into the specialty areas i've mentioned and one of the areas, one of the ideas we've been working with that we are hoping will be implemented once we get the extra rooms and extra equipment is a 24-hour trauma service. Yeah. So that trauma can be handled as soon as it comes in without having to wait two weeks or, you know, be put on a, on a, on a scheduling list and then he has to come back in two months and then the fracture personality has changed and then you need to do something different well, when you, if you were to do it urgently, you'd have done something much simpler and much faster, and then the patient would have had, you know, a much faster recovery. So that's something that we've been discussing for almost the entire year, but a bit of logistics is what we are sort of wading through uh, on the way to achieving that. Yeah. And having five, <coughs> excuse me, having five consultants from the beginning of next year is a step closer to achieving that dream. And a 24-hour trauma service is also a step closer to improving the quality that we offer, the quality of care that we offer to our community and to the region. Mm. Yeah.